0: Now, after describing the story of how Joseph is sold into slavery, the Torah does something very unusual. It kind of like moves to a different story. Almost feels like, you know, when you're reading a novel and you reach the climax and it suddenly, hey, where did we move? It goes to a parallel story. But we'll understand in a moment why. Seeing their father's grief, the brothers turned on Yehuda. They told him, we went along with your idea to sell Joseph. You could have suggested that we return him to dad, and we would have listened to you. At their insistence, Ye- Yehuda stepped down from his position of leadership of his brothers at that time. Now, interesting, they still, as we mentioned yesterday, did not agree to tell their father because they waited for a sign of God to know that it's the right time. He moved away from them and entered into business partnership with a man from Adullam by the name of Hira so this is, he's living in Hebron till now. He moves to Adulam, which is a bit north w- west of where he was living. Soon after, Yehuda sees the daughter of a certain renowned merchant named Shua, and he married her, and they had children. First was a son named Er, then a son Onan, and then a son Sheila. And they no longer had children after that. Not too long after, once the kids were of age, but according to the commentaries, they weren't very old, Yehuda takes a wife for his heir, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. Now, Tamar was the daughter of Shem, who had died 66 years prior to this, so she was at least 65 years old, if not older. She was beautiful. Afraid that bearing children would mar her beauty, Heir would not consummate his marriage with her, didn't want her to fall pregnant, and there was no birth control at that time. Since wasting seed contravenes God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply, which is tantamount to murder according to the Bible, Er died before not regretting his act. Now, Judah tried to keep the Torah like all his family, and one of the laws in Torah is the laws of the Leverite marriage, which is that if a brother dies without having children, the next brother marries this woman, so that he can build up the family name. So, Onan marries her. Now, Onan also doesn't want her to fall pregnant. Also, wasting his seed, and he was unaware of why his brother died, obviously. And again, he Onan dies in the eyes of God. His reason was different, not so much because of her beauty, but because he didn't want to give offspring to his brother. He just felt like, why should I do that? So now it's two brothers dead, and there's only one left, and Yehuda's like, whoa, 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 this ain't working. Technically, Tamar should marry Shelah, but instead of having her marry Shelah, Judah says to his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house for another year until my Shayla grows up. In truth, he had no intention of marrying her. He thought, if he marries her, he'll die as well. He did not know why they died. He presumed something about Tamar caused her husband and any future husband to die prematurely. Although this presumption of mortal danger was legally sufficient to absolve Shayla from marrying her, Yuda did not have her released from this duty. In order to keep her from marrying other men, something that can endanger their lives, he felt it would be preferable to keep her thinking that she was still promised to Shelah. So Tamar lives in her father's house, her family's house, rather, because her father had died years ago, and waiting for Shelah to come of age. Well, a year passes, and Shua's daughter, Yehuda's wife, dies. So basically, he lost two sons and a wife in a very short succession. After Yuda was consoled, he went up together with Chira, his friend, the business partner, to Timnah, which was situated on the slope of a hill to, sup- to supervise the sharers of his flock, just to get his mind off all the tragedy. Tamar was then told, your father-in-law is going up to Timna to shear his flock. Since she was told he was going up to Timna, she knew which route he was taking, because Timna was, as we said, on the slope of a hill. So she takes off her widow's garb, covers herself with a veil, wrapping it also around her face that she won't be recognizable, and sat at the crossroads on the way up to Timna. Abram had pitched his tent for a while at this crossroads, and for this reason, this place was frequently visited by travelers wishing to honor his memory. Tamar knew that Judah would do the same. She really wanted to have children coming from Judah, so she saw that Shelah had grown up and not been given. She decided to have children from Judah herself. When Judah sees her sitting on the crossroads, he mistook her for a prostitute. She had covered her face, and he did not recognize her. Now, even though Judah knew that Tamar was anxious to bear his progeny, he did not suspect that this prostitute could be her, because she always covered her face when she visited his house as a daughter-in-law, and therefore she always came across as a paragon of modesty. He turned aside to her, going over the road to where she was sitting, and said, if you consent, please prepare yourself so I could have it with you. He did not realize this was his daughter-in-law. Had he known this was Tamar, he would not ask to be with her, since having relations with her was presumed to lead to death, as it happened to Er and Onan, his very own children. She replied, what will you give me as payment? He said, I will send you a kid goat from the flock. And she replied, yeah, but that's not now. What security will you give me to the flock? He said, what pledge should I give you? And she answered, your signet ring, your special cloak which is a sign of status in your family, which seems to imply, as we said earlier in the Pasha, that he had a special cloak from his father as well, and the staff in your hand. Tamar specifically requested these three items because she was sure that Yoda would try to get them back, and she could later use them to prove her identity. He gave it to her, was with her, and she conceives. She arose and left, took off her veil, and once again donned her widow's garb. Yehuda sends a kid goat with his friend Adulamite in order to get the security pledge from that woman. He could not find her. He questions the people, where is that prostitute who was at the crossroads? They're like, hey, no prostitute here. He returns to Judah and says, I didn't find her. And everybody says there was no prostitute. So Yehudah says, let her keep what I gave her as a pledge. Otherwise, people will start laughing at us. Look, I did send her that kid goat, but if you did not find her, what more can I do to fulfill my word? Because Yuda had deceived his father about Yosef with the use of a kid goat, Hashem arranged that he himself would be deceived in a kid goat. It is in this year, as these events are happening, that Yitzchak dies. Some three months go by, and Yehuda is informed your daughter-in-law has not been married to anybody else since leaving her second husband, but obviously she was with a guy because she's pregnant. Now, when humanity collectively promised to have sexual morality after the flood, it agreed to punish priests' daughters, the daughters of priests, even unmarried ones, who act this way with the death by burning, echoing the Torah's decree that a priest daughter who commits adultery must die by burning. Since Tamar was the daughter of Shem, who we spoke in the Pasha of Lech Lecha, was a priest, Yudah said, let her be burnt. Tamar was acutely aware of the gravity of the crime of shaming someone in public, that she was ready to be burnt publicly rather than commit and shame her, husband, her father-in-law. She therefore only let Yudah know indirectly that she was pregnant by him. As she was being brought to be burnt, she sent word to her father-in-law as follows. I am pregnant by the man to whom these belonged. And she added, Please identify these items. Whose signet ring, cloak, and staff are these? Please acknowledge your God, she sends a private message, Admit that you are the father and do not cause three innocent lives to be married, to be ended, mine and that of the twins. Yehuda recognized these items as being his. Even though he had not technically committed any wrongdoing since prostitution was not forbidden before the Torah was given with an unmarried woman, it was still embarrassing that a member of Yaakov's family had indulged, indulged in such an inappropriate act. Nonetheless, Yehuda chose to suffer public disgrace rather than let Tamar be killed, and that is considered greatness. He says, she is correct, she's pregnant by me. She was justified in contriving to conceive by me, since I did not give her to my son Shaila as I promised, and she felt I was ignoring my duty to make sure that she has children from this family. Furthermore, now that it is clear that she intended only to have relations with me, she not, cannot be considered of being a prostitute, so she is therefore not liable to the death penalty. A voice from heaven then announced, I, God, am responsible for all this. Because Tamar was so modest whenever she visited her father-in-law's house, I ordained that the royal line of Jewish kings descend from her. I also ordained that the royal line should be descended from Yehuda. But when Aaron Onan refused to father sons by her, I killed him and arranged for Tamar to have children with Yehuda himself. Once it was clear that Aaron Onan had died because of their own sins rather than because of Tamar's, Yudah married her, Based on this voice. So he was never again intimate with her in the same questionable way he had been with before. According to one opinion, according to other opinions, he did not stay with her. When Reuben heard about Yehuda's confession for his inappropriate behavior, he was also inspired to confess publicly that he had wrongly meddled in his father's affairs. And this set a tone of accountability within the family. As Tamar was giving birth, the midnight wife saw that there were twins in the room. Both twins were destined to be righteous. And it's an emerit that they were both righteous, unlike by Rivka, that only one of them was righteous, uh, Yaakov, not Esav, that Hashem shortened the length of the pregnancy and she gave birth prematurely in the seventh month and she didn't have to suffer the pregnancy much longer. While she was in labor, one of the babies stuck out his hand from the womb. The midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it around the hand to signify this one's first. Then the baby withdrew the hand. But as soon as he withdrew the hand, the other brother emerged. And his mother said, wow, you pushed yourself ahead with vigor. And that's why she named them parrots, breaking through. And because ultimately firstborn rites is by which baby's head comes out first, parrots was considered the firstborn. Then his brother with the scarlet red comes out. And they named him Zerach, shining, after the shining scarlet thread. Why was Zerach not the firstborn? Because his descendants were not as illustrious as that of parrots, from whom the royal family of King David came. So that's why he ended up being first. In the merit of Tamar's righteous intention to bear Yehuda children, these sons inherit Yehuda's strength and righteousness. So after discussing the story of Yehuda and really the beginning of the story of King David, which eventually leads to the Mashiach, we now go back to the story of Joseph. Why did we go on this tangent? Because remember, Yehuda only went away from his family because they blamed him for Joseph's sale.